Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Let's go to Luke in Wisconsin looking at Bristol Myers. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'd just like to know what you think for the short to midterm on this company. I want to know if you think it might be a good idea to try to get out now and maybe get it back in the future. And provides unbiased answers. Yeah, actually, we're selling this tomorrow for clients. Uh, we've been looking into the patent cliff um, recently. It's actually worse than we, we thought. Invest Talk. Over 36 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 29th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk, and I'm happy you all are here. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Hopefully, you ate well and caught up with family, and overall, just uh, had a little R&R. Uh, I know I did, and that always feels good. It makes you nice and refreshed coming into uh, this Monday. And it was an interesting Monday. We're going to get to all of that. But uh, that now that we're approaching December, just a, a couple of days away, it may be time to start to look towards 2022, uh, look back on this year, on your strategy, your portfolio. How has that changed? How have your goals evolved? throughout this year? And then maybe what adjustments should you make going into next year? And that's what I am here to help you with, is you probably have specific questions in regards to all of that, and things that you may need clarity on, things that you may need some direction on, and that's what we are here to help with, is to give you the facts as I see them in front of me using my 20 plus years of investment experience and distill down the relevant information for you to make good, smart money decisions. That's what I'm here. And I'm going to operate with my mission statement as always, which is independent thinking and shared success. So I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to your particular liking. And that means you can interact with me right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can leave Invest Talk, uh, a message on our Invest Talk voice bank, and we will answer that on a future show. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, my name is Zach from Minnesota. My question is regarding IMAX Technologies. Ticker Hilo, Indigo, Mike, X-Ray. My question is, would this be a good stock to pick up and put into a dividend growth portfolio? I'm just looking at their quarterly revenue year over year, sitting at like 75%, and the return on equity is at 55, but not sure if this is, if I'm looking at all this right, and this would be a, a good play. Uh, looking for your opinion. Thank you. All right. Hymex Technologies is a, is a semiconductor solutions provider dedicated to dis, 
to display imaging process technology. So these are the things that go into your uh, flat panel TV, your, your digital camera, your phone, tablets, uh, virtual reality devices, etc. And there, you are correct that their business is doing very well, especially since the start of the pandemic. And this year, they're supposed to make $2.39 and then $2.58 next year. Now, here is the issue, is that this is in the heart of the type of companies that benefited from the shutdowns for more people staying at home, uh, building home offices and throwing a TV in there, uh, buying new monitors, etc. All of these things that allowed you to work from home, live uh, comfortably at home. Uh, and a lot more money was freed up because you couldn't spend money on services. So a lot of people bought physical goods, including a, a lot of electronics. And certainly they benefited dramatically. Now, this year is going to be their best earnings since 2014 when they made 44 cents a share. 2019, they had lost 10 cents a share. And that's my issue here is that this uh, the technicals are now weak below all the major moving averages that peaked in February. Uh, with a lot of the, the COVID shutdown stocks, and it's trending bearishly. And the question is, what is really trend earnings for this type of company? Now, you're right that their return equity is 58% today. But historically, you go back 10 plus years from, call it 2014, all the way to the pandemic, their return equity was declining from 15 all the way into negative territory. In the first quarter of, of 2020 and the fourth quarter of 2019. So it went into the pandemic in a bad position. And it looks like roses today. But what dynamics have really changed to say this is a good buy now, especially when the technicals are weakening? So this is right in the heart, like I said, of companies who had giant tailwinds because of the pandemic and now are entering headwinds and the chart is telling you that as well and so the fact that the chart is weak um and the earnings announcement earnings expectations are actually in decline uh tells me that you want to avoid this name remember pre-pandemic they were trading around two dollars a share now we're at ten dollars a share so i'm gonna pass on h-i-m-x Hymax technologies now my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline what are options, their risk levels, and should you trade them? So investing in options or contracts, allowing you to bet on which direction you think a stock is going, hit a record high last year, and it's going to hit another record high this year. So we're going to discuss that as well as some other topics as well, like antitrust tech bill going through Congress today. What might that mean for uh, the big fang names and the broad market as a whole, considering the broad indices are so overweighted there? And then e-commerce. Everyone talks about e-commerce, the, the, the trend uh, because of the pandemic, like we they just discussed, was e-commerce was booming. Well, this year, companies are actually opening more physical stores than they have since 2017. What does that mean? And then lastly, are supply chain problems showing signs of easing? We're going to look at that as well. Now, let's look at the market today. We had the S&P up 60 points, so a little over 1%. Still didn't close above 
Friday's high, which was interesting to me. We'll see if we can kind of work our way back up towards that. Uh, but overall, I expected a stronger bounce. I really did. You had the queues. They uh, they did close above the high from uh, from Friday. And that's definitely the more bullish sign for the tech names. Uh, you had the 10-year. That was up about five basis points today, but not above Friday's high. Uh, so really interesting day. Definitely a bounce, but no clear indication yet on which way uh, the market is going to start to trend after really a big risk-off event on Friday because of the Omicron variant and uh, I think it's a whole lot of nonsense, to be honest with you. Um, well, I don't say nonsense. It, it's an overreaction because there's not a lot of information on this. Uh, how deadly is it? How uh, how easy is it to transmit? Which that does seem like that's higher, but that doesn't necessarily mean a, a reason for more restrictions or shutdowns uh, because if it's less deadly or far less deadly, then at some point, then it's just what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's an endemic situation is maybe a bit uh, more risky than the flu. Um, but at a point where I don't think there's a lot of appetite for shutdowns uh, and restrictions. We'll see what happens. But I think that is something uh, that I think the market, once again, overreacted to on Friday. It was a light volume session with uh, most people still on vacation, not trading a whole lot. It was a half day. And so really, I remain relatively uh, neutral. The jury's still out on what this could mean for markets as a whole. But I think we'll know here in the next uh, week or so as we get more data, more information, and see how governments react. Now we're hitting, we are moving into a break, and I'm here now taking your calls live. This is a good way to get to go because we can interact. So give me a call. Call right now. This is Invest Talk, 888 chart. Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99Chart. Hey guys, I wanted to know what you guys thought about Skyworks, ticker SWKS for a long term hold. All right, thank you. All right, looking at Skyworks, SWKS. And this is another company that certainly had some tailwinds from the pandemic. And what they do is they make analog mixed signal, uh, mixed signal integrated circuits, amplifiers, attenuators, detectors, basically uh, wireless chips. And they, some, I believe some of the chips do go into the iPhone. And you might say, based on the last caller, oh, well, this is kind of the same in the same boat. But... This is why you have to look at each company in its own light. Now, while the, the pandemic definitely helped Skyworks, they've been actually a much more profitable company for a long period of time. In fact, from uh, like Hymex, they were actually declined. Their strategy was in decline, uh, whereas Skyworks has been accelerating since uh, about 2000, 
12 or so when it was only 11% and reached a high of 31% in 2015 and 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 kind of hung around the the mid 20% range uh until the pandemic and now we're back up to around the 31% uh level on return on equity so certainly that's been a boost to their business and earnings are up let's see year over year up 42% uh, last quarter, revenues up 37%. That's a deceleration from fourth quarter of last year. Revenues were up 69%. Earnings were up 100%. So you can see uh, just how strongly their, the, the pandemic helped their business. Yields 1.4%, $25 billion market cap. Earnings are expected to be up 10% next year, another 11% the year after. And But technically, this is also in a downtrend. And that's really the worry here is, how where where will this uh, ultimately kind of bottom out uh, and technically we're we're not there yet at least it doesn't look like we're there yet it still uh remains relatively weak and i'm looking at some longer term support between 120 and 1 call it uh 130 120 to 130 that's an area that i think there's going to be strong support and now we're at 155ish at the close today so I still think there's more downside as we you see deceleration in that growth rate. Remember, 2019, they made $6.17. This this year, they're supposed to make $10.50. So they've almost doubled their earnings over that time period. And now we're going to decelerate to only about 10% per year earnings growth, which is still good for a company of this size. And it's a very good company. But it needs to come down to levels that uh, adjust for a, a more moderate growth profile, which the market has really been pricing in since the, the March lows, which were, geez, down around $70 a share. So we're still up a hundred, over 100% from those levels. And so I would be a bit patient here on Skyworks, but definitely have it on your watch list. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Marty Mann says, if I understand correctly, when a dividend is paid, the amount comes directly from the stock price and is reflected the next day. You must pay capital gains on the dividend. If that is correct, is this, uh, what is the difference between a 2% dividend and just selling 2% of your holdings in that stock? You make a great point. You're absolutely right. Uh, when uh, a company goes ex-dividend, typically it will drop that amount of whatever the, the dividend is. And so the theory is, well, then if it drops that amount, then why, why take the dividend? Why pay the tax? Here it is. It's discipline. And that's what all of these studies look at of uh, histories of dividends. It's about capital discipline within the business. And when companies pay out uh, a dividend, when it, what it does is makes management conscious of that need to continue to pay out that dividend uh, and therefore their capital allocation becomes a bit more conservative. Uh, they, they scrutinize every purchase of new companies, capital outlays, etc., because they want to maintain that dividend. They don't want to be the one in charge when the dividend gets cut. And therefore, it shows that dividend paying companies have better capital discipline than those that do not, who just uh, occur uh, cash on the balance sheet and suddenly they pay out, uh, you know, they make a bad acquisition or something like that. So that's what dividends are there for. Now we're heading into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike. 
and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, I wanted to get your opinion on Roblox, R-B-L-X. It's a play on the metaverse and they did really well on their last earnings and the investor presentation. Thank you. All right, looking at Roblox, and this is uh, definitely a metaverse type company. I think metaverse is that new buzzword that uh, is being overly chased, <laughs> uh, which is not uncommon in, in markets, especially uh, today. Now that uh, Facebook changed their name to metaverse as well, that's or to meta, I guess, uh, is, is something that's sparking a lot more interest, interest in the space. And this is a company that's been really on a tear since its IPO uh, in, what's that, March? Yeah, March, when it was around $60 per share. Now we're at $129 per share. And I think it's a good company. I just think the valuations are just so egregious. I mean, you're talking about a run rate of maybe $2 billion in revenue, and it's a $75 billion company, and it's barely making any money. Um, so I, I just think technicals are fine. So if you're looking at it from just a simple, straight-up momentum play and the buzzword of meta, which is still relatively new, maybe gain more traction, I think it's fine. Um, but as an investment, I think there's way too many risks at these this valuation. Um, and so I'm going to pass on as an investment, but as a trade, I would give it probably a thumbs up. 8899 chart, 8899 So I get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's talk a bit about options. And option volumes are hitting record levels. And that's above last year's record level. 2020, there were 7.47 billion contracts traded. That's an increase of 52.4% from 2019 levels. And a lot of that has to do with you know people staying home and uh, getting checks in the mail and uh, parlaying that into their, into their uh, Robinhood accounts and and their investment accounts and and trying to YOLO right just just make whatever I can um, and this has a lot to do I've said this a, a bit before I think it's a, a lot of uh, nihilism I think there's kind of this lack of faith in the system that they can actually people can actually build their own wealth uh, and and get comfortable. Uh, and so they're going to take the most risk that they possibly can in order to make it big. Uh, and options are one way of doing that to earn massive, massive returns. Now, the odds of you actually earning that are very, very low. But hey, a lot of people say a lot of people don't know that. First off, and a lot of people say, well, odds might be low, but at least there's a chance. Um, and that's really what's been driving a lot of this option volume. Now, options can be great, can increase your income of your portfolio, can limit your risk, it can hedge against market, market fluctuations. Uh, it can do a lot of things depending on what strategy you deploy. Now, the problem is most people don't know the various strategies, they don't understand it, they don't take the time to research it, they're just trying to make the biggest return possible. They don't know that options can lower your break-even point, they can even reverse your strategy without selling your stock, uh, even let you purchase a stock below its current price. 
And a lot of people, while it's popular, uh, they they don't understand how complex it gets, can get, but also how straightforward it can be. There are, there are always two sides of the coin. Now, let's go over what an option is. Well, it's a contract that investor buys or sells. And it's if you own the contract, it's the obligation, it's the right, not the obligation. You don't have to. It's the right to buy or sell a specific stock or ETF at a specific price for a specified period of time, sometimes days, sometimes up to years. Now, unlike a stock, an option does not represent ownership. You don't own ownership in the company. Okay? So understand that. Then it's expiration. There's, that's a big part of this that people don't understand as well. A stock position can be held for as long as you want. All options, however, eventually expire. And as the expiration date approaches, options generally lose value quickly. And if they're not, quote unquote, in the money, they end up worthless. Now, how risky are options really? Well, option trading is known to be risky, but that depends on the strategy you're deploying. And that's why it's important for you to understand the pros and cons before getting in and it's never a good idea to invest in something you don't really understand. So the risk you take as an option investor ultimately depends on what type of contract you're buying, what side you're taking. Are you buying or are you selling? And there are multiple strategies you can, you can implement using different combinations of options. But they also can be very straightforward as well. Covered call, cash-secured puts. That's very simple. Right? If you own 100 shares of the underlying stock, you sell a call option on, uh, on that, that particular um, underlying stock, and you bring more premium in. And that brings uh, some lowering your risk profile, uh, depending on the strike, depending on the uh, expiration, etc. And there's cash-secured puts. You can sell just uh, the, the right to buy that at a lower price at a future time. And get premiums that way. Those are very straightforward. And then there's very complex. Going naked, selling naked calls, for example, can be very, very risky. So the bottom line is understand what you're doing before you get into it and do some deep research. And calculate your maximum gain, loss, break-even points, etc. before you make a trade. Now we're heading into a break, and I'm here ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, the next Invest Talk story behind this question, where are home prices headed in 2022? The real estate market has been white hot this year, but if you're thinking about buying or selling next year, you'll want to know what to expect. We will take you through the twists and turns of this story tomorrow. But for now, let's go to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Ohio. Hi, guys. My name is Andrew. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. A loyal listener to you guys. I appreciate everything you do. Um, today, I want to ask about IIPR. It's a um, marijuana cannabis REIT. You guys talked about it probably a year ago, maybe more, and I had a few shares at $150. It went up a bit. I sold because I had some other um, investments, and now it's at 280 got up to 288 I believe. Um, so I'm kind of kicking myself for that. Um, I'd love to get back in. It does pay a nice dividend. I just don't think at this price it's worth it. Um, I was thinking if it comes back down to the last support level at like 220 230 that might be a good opportunity to buy in. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, once again, I appreciate everything. Thanks. All right, this is IIPR, Innovative Industrial Properties, and he's correct. This is a REIT that acquires uh, industrial real estate assets that are used for growing medical use cannabis. Yields about 2.3%, and you're correct. We have owned this for our clients for uh, over a year now, for, for a while, uh, and it's done very, very well and very happy with it, and we continue to hold it. And if you look based on next year's earnings, it's expected to be $9.03 a share. You're talking about roughly 27 times, uh, or sorry, excuse me, 30 times uh, the number of it right now at $265 per share, which is 
not cheap, but uh, for a company that's growing so dramatically, you're going to pay over market multiples. Market multiple right now is in the low 20s. Definitely going to pay in the high 20s for something that's growing this well. Now, um, there are talks of uh, decriminalizing marijuana, and that could have uh, some impact, but we don't see that having a major impact because uh, it's still going to remain localized. It's still going to have the current laws in place in different states are unlikely to change dramatically if it uh, becomes federally um, uh, decriminalized. In fact, there will probably be more rules passed, which innovative industrial properties will, allow, will be able to um, understand because they operate in so many different states and, and uh, a lot of the rules are, are very similar. Um, and so this allows them, what they do is they go in and they say, okay, uh, there, there's certain demand for uh, growing cannabis in this region. Uh, these are the, the permits we need to get to, uh, to grow. Uh, and they set up a facility that is ready to, to grow cannabis. Uh, and they're able to, so that the actual operators don't have to go and jump through those hoops that innovative industrial properties have already done. They're able to extract high rents because say, Hey, do you want to go do this? Do you want to go and find the property, get it permitted, deal with all the legalities, et cetera? Or do you want to just pay higher rent? And with, uh, the industry being so profitable, most of these people just say, I'm just gonna pay higher rent. Uh, and that's why they've been able to grow, their revenue so dramatically, their earnings so dramatically, and so still a fan of IIPR. That's Innovative Industrial Properties. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question. On today's show, we have about 20 minutes left, but it's going to go by quickly, so I encourage you to call now. Let's touch a bit on some interesting news about the technology space, and bills that are going through Congress. In fact, there are now three different bills, all addressing the power of the major tech platforms. And the support for curbing these large technology companies is now widening beyond just the House, which had passed a bunch of bills back in June. After they went through uh, some marathon sessions, uh, but the Senate didn't really take up any of that, focused on other things like the current infrastructure bill, bipartisan one, the Build Back Better, et cetera, and they continue to kind of focus on that. But I think their next focus after this Build Back Better plan is passed is likely to be the tech companies and what they can do to... Put new legal constraints on search engines, e-commerce marketplaces, app stores, and all these online platforms. And like I said, there's bipartisan, bipartisan momentum to get something done. And the current bill, uh, one of them, is backed by 12 senators, six Republicans, six Democrats. And this is called the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, a bill that would impact Amazon's marketplace dramatically and Google's search engine, and they would treat them like dominant railroad operators, essential to e-commerce, which falls under more constraints. And it would make it illegal for them to advantage their own products and services at the expense of other businesses that rely on the particular platform. Another bipartisan bill, so remember that, that was just one bill. Another one is backing a bill that would place new restrictions on smartphone apps, in-app payment systems, app store search results. Clearly, that's going to impact Apple as well as Google. 
And then a third group of lawmakers want to force these tech platforms to pr- prove that any new merger or acquisition won't stifle any competition. So, we'll, you know, the whole thing is, hey, we're going to build a business and we're going to sell to the big guys. And the big guys are going to go in. That's what that's what Instagram was. Facebook basically said, okay, Instagram, they're, they're eating our lunch. We're just going to go in there, buy them for, I think it was like $700 billion or something like that. Uh, sorry, $700 million, <laughs> uh, which is chump change of what it's worth today. Uh, and kind of bring them in-house and, and uh, never allow any rising platform to really usurp the power of their strongest aspects of their business. In, in Facebook's uh, case, it was their uh, social media platform. And there's also more scrutiny on uh, privacy protection for children. Uh, we've seen that with uh, Facebook's or Meta's uh, internal research that the company found evidence that its algorithms fostered discord and uh, Instagram apps hurt uh, notably teen girls. And so all of these things are really pushing on the power of these large tech platforms. And uh, they're ramping up a, a fight. Amazon has spent more than $15.3 million so far this year on lobbying. Facebook, $14.7. Alphabet, $9 million. And so they're really pushing back. And the big question is, will they be able to? There's other tech platforms that, that want this. Spotify, Roku, Yelp, Match. DuckDuckGo, all these are actually in support of these type of bills. So it's one of these things where there's there's definitely two sides. But now that it's more bipartisan, I think there's definitely going to get something done. And there's definitely the biggest – this is the biggest risk to, uh, I think, the market as a whole because the S&Ps weighed so heavily on these tech platforms. Uh, a lot of individuals buying fang names, et cetera, are so heavily weighted towards them. And there's big gains. There's a lot of companies – a lot of people think, oh, well, I have so many so – many, we have, I have large gains that I don't want to take the profits. Well, I've, I've learned this lesson before that avoiding paying capital gains oftentimes turns those capital gains into no capital gains. And so make sure that you're not just holding for the sake of holding and not understanding the risks because the risks in Congress on these platforms are rising. Now let's fit another invest talk. Or sorry, iTunes review question. Puma51 says, you've talked about how commodities may be on a super cycle. So that being said, what's your outlook for ticker VAW in the next five to 10 years? So VAW, that is Vanguard Materials ETF. And uh, I, I, I've, I think this is going to be a good place to be overall. Uh, and let's look at the top holdings. You're looking at Sherwin-Williams, Air Products, Ecolabs, Freeport-McMoran, which is obviously copper, uh, Newmont, which is gold, Dow Chemical, PPG industry. So this is very heavily industrial focused, which is interesting. You know, you think materials, you, you, you think more of more raw materials. And the reality is for this particular ETF, that's not really the case. So uh, I'm going to give this a positive because I like industrials. It has some commodity exposure here, but is this the best pure play when it comes to industrials or sorry, uh, when it comes to uh, commodities? Probably not, uh, but it's still better than a lot of the other uh, options out there. Uh, Not a bad part of your portfolio, but I wouldn't lean too heavily on it because it's not a pure play commodity 
exposure. Now let's keep things moving and swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for this question. Hello again. This is Dylan from Brooklyn. Today I'm looking at Maximus, MMS. Pretty sure I've heard that you guys have liked it in the past. Dipped on earnings today. I'm wondering if you guys think this is a good place to pick it up. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, looking at Maximus, and you are correct. Uh, we have liked this name it for a while, so still up on it, but it has had a decent pullback here. Peaked in April on 95, now we're at 77, so down about 20% from its 52-week high. Yields about 1.4%, but earnings, while they are supposed to dip this year 5% in total from last year, supposed to be back up 24% next year. So there's strong backlog, and, and for everybody, what they do is they provide operation operations, programs, management, and consulting services to the U.S. government. Well, is the U.S. government spending more on services or less? Spending more. And that's not just here in the U.S., it's all around the world. And they operate government health and human services programs here in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Australia. And it, what they do is they improve cost effectiveness, efficiency, quality of these government-sponsored programs such as Medicare, Medicaid, uh, health insurance platforms, child support programs. And so they're going to be in need. These programs are only increasing in size and scope in and in, in how, many, how many there are. Uh, they're rolling out, and so this is a company what we think has strong tailwinds to their business overall, and you can see that with their earnings. 2015, they only made $2.38. Next year, they're supposed to make $5.46. So in just the span of seven years or so, they've doubled their – over doubled their earnings per share, and so uh, we think that growth is going to continue. Uh, they have strong cash flow. They've been raising their dividend. So there's a lot to like about this name, and so uh, I would be picking this up. If you're a long-term investor, uh, this is a, a time after this recent uh, sell-off to be picking up shares. Now, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. And this is where we operate with the same philosophy, independent thinking, and shared success. And we do that by providing unbiased guidance, both on and off air as well as practicing parallel investing, where we invest right alongside our clients. Same percentages, same time, same price, etc. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or go to meetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. Yeah, 800 number. We've been around for that, for that long. Now, We'd love to help you in any way, maybe a short conversation. Maybe it's a long conversation. No matter what it is, we would love to help. Next up, we will get back to the Talk Voice Bank. Remember, the phone lines never close at 888-99-CHART. The Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you? when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom. I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Brian from Laguna Beach, California. I just wanted to see if you can go over the quick ratio and how we can use that among what the price-to-earnings ratio and other financial measures to pick a good stock. Thank you. Well, uh, Laguna Beach, well, you're a local here. I'm 
right now in Laguna Beach as well. It's where I live. And you're looking at the quick ratio. Now, you talked about it as price to sales, and it sounded like some other uh, ratios. And just because they're ratios doesn't mean that they are used the same way. When you're looking at price to sales, price to earnings, enterprise value to EBITDA, all these different valuation metrics, what you're doing is you're looking at uh, what kind of multiple of that metric the market is putting on the name. And you may decide that's too low, too high compared to different uh, companies in the industry, uh, et cetera. And that's how you look at those type of ratios. But the quick ratio is not evaluation ratio. It is a balance sheet metric. And it's fairly simple. And it's a good way to understand the solvency, the liquidity of a particular company. Now, it's quick and it's dirty. So it's by no means perfect. But it can help you understand uh, a company that maybe have has uh, a decent amount of debt, whether or not it's in good financial standing. Now, what is the quick ratio? It's current assets minus inventory divided by current liabilities. Now, what are what does that all what does all that mean? Well, current assets are assets that uh, are going to likely turn into cash or can turn into cash or maybe is cash very quickly. Current liabilities are liabilities you must pay in the next year. The idea is. You want current assets minus inventory. So inventory, it's assumed you're going to turn into cash in the near term, but it's not guaranteed. So we're going to back out inventory from that those current assets. And then what is left over? And is that higher than current liabilities or is that lower than current liabilities? If it's higher, it means you have enough cash, you have enough liquidity in theory to pay off all those liabilities that are coming up due in the next year. Now, if you don't, that could be a problem. You might default on those liabilities. And that's what that is there for. It's just an accounting metric. It's not anything that's going to give you an understanding whether the company is cheap or expensive. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk quiz. Let's go to Luke in Wisconsin looking at Bristol Myers. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'd just like to know what you think for the short to midterm on this company. I took profit and sold about half my position when it was in the high 60s a few months ago. And I see the chart just formed an absolutely bearish uh, death cross. And just want to know if you think it might be a good idea to try to get out now and maybe get it back in the future. Uh, yeah, actually, we're selling this tomorrow for clients. Um, we've been looking into the patent cliff um, recently, and it's actually um, worse than we, we thought. Um, about 80% of the revenue is coming off patent in the next seven years. And so I would be, and the technicals are, are getting worse. So um, we're, we'll be selling it tomorrow. I don't really have a price to get back into it because, like I said, there's too much uncertainty with their patent cliffs. Uh, and this is a lot of the large 
pharma companies. Uh, this is what one of the big reasons I I just absolutely think that the pharma industry right now is one of the worst places to be invested. Um, not only you have regulations that are crimping uh, increase in, in drug prices, uh, but also uh, there's so many uh, companies with patent issues that are um, that are that are increasing uh, as, the, as the years go on. And so uh, th- there's a lot of these big these big pharma companies that look cheap. But if you model it out, you know, five, 10 years from now uh, with those patent cliffs, uh, they look very expensive. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would just take BMY off your, your list. I would sell it, move on. Uh, and, and like I said, go to non-pharma companies, look at uh, medical device companies, those type of med tech companies. I think those are a much better place to be than the big pharma names. Now, let's fit in one more Invest Talk caller question here. Came in earlier from a listener in California. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Alan from Hayward, California. I love the show. My question is, I keep hearing and reading about insiders that exercise stock options, that it could be a bad thing for shareholders. Why is that? Also, are these the same options as call options and put options? I'm really confused on this. Thanks. I love the show. Bye. Well, the reason it's bad is because when you exercise an, an option as, a, as an insider, those shares are, are now being created and they could be sold. Whereas if they're stock options, then you're not exactly um, – they're not out there. They're not out there to be traded. Uh, they're just kind of held on a personal balance sheet. When you exercise and suddenly now they are in an account uh, and, and could be sold and, and now those are now uh, shares in existence as well. So diluting overall shareholders. Now, is that the same as call options? Yes, I would say it, it, it's it's very similar. Uh, buying or selling call options isn't going to change the overall number of shares outstanding because you don't have that that uh, ability as an individual. But y- y- the the mechanism, the overall mechanism of uh, basically having the ability to exercise. Uh, the option to purchase the shares at a certain price, uh, expire on a certain date. Yes, that is pretty much the same. Um, but it, it's a bit different when you're an insider. You're awarded those stock options, typically at a very, very low price. Uh, and then you go out there and you have a lot of incentive to to lock that in. Uh, look at what Elon did, right? Elon, once you uh, exercise those options and they expire at a certain time, then you need to pay uh, income tax. And a lot of times to pay income tax, you sell those sell those shares that weren't out there in the marketplace uh, before. And so, um, yeah, that's uh, that's really the, the, the big difference. And uh, it's not uncommon uh, for those insiders to go and sell shares of stock options that they exercise. And, and that's why... I think people overrate the insider selling um, because you don't really understand the insider's personal balance sheet, what they might be doing with that money. Are they just simply diversifying how much of their net worth is tied up in that company itself? And maybe it's just a good idea, a smart idea to diversify a bit. Um, so uh, hopefully that unpacked that question for you and gave you a proper answer. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads now with 36 million. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. Your positive rating raises our profile and helps spread the word. And if you leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. 
Here's a quick reminder. If you, if you missed our recent webinar, you can watch it for free over at investtalk.com. Click on webinar, or you can have our, head over to our YouTube page and just type in investtalk. Independent thinking, shared success. This is investtalk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 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 888-99-C